Vox Quick Hits. Months into the pandemic, and the country still doesn't quite know what to do about schools. States, school districts, and teachers have largely been left to their own devices when it comes to figuring out how to keep kids learning during the COVID-19 outbreak. Until recently, the federal government was basically sitting this one out. Though under the Biden administration, that's changing. What would it take to reopen schools safely? What's needed in terms of a playbook from the federal government and money? And what's the cost of students staying home for months? Vox's Anna North is here to discuss why America hasn't figured out its pandemic school problem and whether there's a chance to finally get it right. What to do about schools has been a major question throughout the pandemic. What's the current lay of the land? It's a huge mess. Um, Like so many things about reopening in the United States, um, schools are all over the place. Some schools are open um, for in-person instruction in places where community spread of the virus remains really high, like in Arizona. And then there are places where schools remain closed and fully remote. And there have been huge debates about what it would take to reopen them again. So it's all over the place. Um, A huge mess. (laughs) I guess, like, the big question in all of this is, what does it look like to make school safer? What's the key here beyond, obviously, I imagine, vaccines? To to go back a little bit, one of the reasons that schools can seem like such a huge mess is there's so much controversy and so much mistrust on all sides. And, you know, a lot of folks I talk to really put that down to the Trump administration to a great degree, which... Um, didn't really offer schools any guidance, but instead just threatened them and said it was going to take away their federal funding if they didn't reopen, regardless of what the status of the virus was. So we kind of entered 2021 in this space where teachers are really scared because they feel like they're going to be forced to come back to school with no protections. Parents are really angry because they want their kids to go back to school. And in some cases, they feel like there's no plan for doing that. Kids are looking at, you know, maybe they're not even going to go back to school in the fall. So there's just so much bad blood and anger. But I think that can obscure some good news, which is that there's also a lot of broad agreement when you talk to public health people. And if you talk to teachers and a lot of teachers unions, they'll tell you the same thing. And it's really there's really four steps. So one thing we need is universal masking for kids and teachers and all staff at schools. Anybody who's in a school needs a mask. Um, this is a real non-negotiable, um, according to all public health experts that I've talked to. Next thing you need, ideally, is uh, some way of keeping students in stable cohorts. So keep kids in stable small groups that they're able to be with and also keeping teachers with those same small groups. Because that means if someone tests positive, then, you know, you have to maybe isolate the folks in that group. They've been exposed, but that person hasn't suddenly exposed 100 people at their school. The next thing is ventilation. This is a really big problem for a lot of schools because they're old. I mean, one teacher I talked to, you know, in New Jersey pointed out a lot of their schools are built in the 1900s. They don't necessarily have amazing ventilation systems. Meanwhile, some newer schools don't have windows or some schools here in New York, I've been hearing like their windows don't open or painted shut. 
you know, maybe it might seem to folks like ventilation should be simple, but it's really not. And in some cases, that's where like a lot of real money investment would have to go. This is something that spreads through the air. You need to have really good air movement. And the fourth thing is really testing. So not just testing of people that have symptoms, but really asymptomatic testing to continually get a sense of what is the virus level like in the school to spot any problems before they start. And I think this is especially important, people say, with the rise of variants. Um, you know, a lot of our research on the safety of schools was conducted before some of these variants became dominant in other places. But the good news about testing is, at the minimum, if you're testing a lot, you should know when numbers are starting to go up and when you might need to think about closing. And there's one thing I will add to that that a lot of teachers have been really pushing for it, and it's important to note, which is some sort of accommodation for folks who either have underlying conditions that put them at high risk or folks who live with people in their families who also have those conditions. This is important when we start thinking about vaccines because some teachers are getting vaccinated. Here in New York, they're getting vaccinated. I think I read it's about half of states have prioritized teachers at this point. Um, but their family members aren't necessarily getting it. So there need to be some kinds of allowances, I think, for teachers who are in that situation to make them feel like, as a group, it's safe to come back to work. In some ways, that's the hardest. But the good news is that none of those things are really insurmountable. The thing it takes to surmount them is money. So you get to the resources question here, right? The money question. What is the impact here for school districts that don't have money? Right. I mean, here's the issue. We've started to see research out of school districts that were able to put those sort of four recommendations, the masks, the cohorting, the ventilation, the testing, places that were able to do that stuff. And in some cases, even some of it were able to really reduce transmission to a relatively low rate. But what a lot of schools will tell you is we don't have the resources to make sure everyone is masked. We don't have the resources to make sure everyone, every child has a high quality mask. We don't have the staffing to make sure everyone is in stable cohorts. Or again, our windows don't open. You know, our building is not set up for this. In some cases, buildings, you know, are just so small. You know, you look at a big school district like the Los Angeles Unified Schools. Those schools are used to, in normal times, having really, really high class sizes. They're used to packing 30, 40 kids into a room. It's not simple for that school building to then say, how are we going to reopen and make sure we have good ventilation? Everyone's now in stable cohorts. Everyone's distanced apart. That's really hard for, you know, a crowded urban school district to figure out. Um, and then testing is also really expensive. So you look at state and local budgets that are totally squeezed right now. You know, we have a lot of good evidence that this stuff works, but we have a lot of places that just can't afford to do it. So we have a new president. Does Biden have a plan to fix this? Yes, to some degree. His COVID stimulus proposal that Emily, you wrote about, has some significant money in it for schools and for state and local governments that would indirectly be able to pass that money along to schools. The sticking point is going to be, is that proposal going to pass? So the short answer is yes. The Biden administration, you know, has staked a great degree of its reputation on this. Um, Biden promised to get kids back in school within his first 100 days. And the, the stimulus is a big part of how he's going to do that or how he hopes to do that. Um, but it's money, so it's got to go through Congress. What are the long term ramifications of not figuring this out or at least schools kind of opening and closing across the country for we're coming up on a year, right? 
Yeah, this is a really complicated question. I mean, we've already seen evidence of serious learning losses among kids, especially looking at the spring of 2020 when schools suddenly shut down, you know, without necessarily a plan for how to provide remote learning, you know, and we did see learning losses there. And, you know, perhaps most concerningly, there was modeling projecting the most severe learning losses happening among Black students, Latinx students, and students in general from low-income zip codes. So that means that kids who, frankly, were often already being poorly served by schools were experiencing even more severe effects. Um, It gets a little complicated now. There's some indication that the fall was a little better. Many parents and teachers I've talked to have said, you know, their schools kind of got it together a little bit more. They had the summer to prepare their remote learning. Um, In some places, things got better. It's not accurate to say that all parents are pushing for an in-person reopening right now. There have been families who don't feel comfortable sending their kids back to school in person. You know, in particular, we've seen in surveys that Black families have generally supported more remote instruction. And, you know, I and others have also talked to Black parents who've said having kids at home and doing homeschooling to some degree protects them from some of the systemic racism and some of the microaggressions that they would experience in schools. So the pandemic in so many ways has been this time that we've like inequities have been brought to the fore and people have been forced to look at them who weren't necessarily forced to look at them before. And that includes educational inequities. I think it's a great time to address those in a serious way you know, the question is whether we will have the political will or indeed the money to do so. Well, thanks for talking about this. This is a complicated one. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Anna North is a senior reporter at Vox, and you can find her on Twitter at Anna North Tweets.